Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's a Thursday morning by chance, November 3rd. Hope you are doing well. Welcome to Romans Rewind. We are right in the middle of Romans 14, which talks about the way that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to treat and relate to one another, particularly when we disagree. And when we talk about matters that we disagree on, Paul says these are opinions, matters of dispute. They are not at the heart of the gospel. We're not arguing about the deity of Christ or the inspiration of the word of God or the Trinity or the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God. Those are not matters of opinion or matters of dispute or matters of, of dispute, uh, disputation, so to speak. Um, no, those are matters of orthodoxy, truth, confessional truth, the, the truth of God once for all delivered to the saints. We're not talking about those kind of issues. We're not to, to dispute those issues. We're to receive them from the Lord and from his um, apostles. Rather, we're talking about those matters that, we, that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. And Paul has put these under the categories of the stronger or the weak brother. And he has a word for each of them. And we find it in Romans 14. And let me read verse 3. He says, let not, the one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And so Paul then sets a trajectory for us that in these matters we're to neither disdain and hold in contempt or pass judgment on our brothers. Well, this is a particular challenge as we come to the topic we've been neck deep in this week, and that's politics, voting. How are we to think about these things as believers, especially when there's such a wide divergence of opinion? If nothing else, this last uh, election cycle, two or three, has shown us that while we may be together for the gospel, we certainly aren't together always on politics or voting. And on one hand, we can understand why. We're all from different backgrounds, political persuasions, raised differently. We're from different church traditions, different regions of the country. So what are we to do with this? And today I really want to talk about this issue of voting, because if I can, if I can sort of align, uh, if I can kind of map out where the three primary categories of evangelicals have been over this past election cycle, and I'm going to talk about names and candidates, and just to kind of give some, a, a clear picture of what we're saying here, um, there were many evangelicals who came to the table in the election of 2020 saying, we cannot in good conscience vote for Donald Trump because of his character issues, because of his divisiveness, um, his, his personal history of, of sin, of sexual immorality, uh, business dealings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There were another group of evangelicals who came to the table saying, we recognize all that, and whether it's true or not, um, let's assume it is, we believe the policies that Trump is advocating for and those near him are better and more biblical than the ones that Biden would be promoting. And certainly when you look at issues like abortion and other things, uh, a very valid case could be made for that. Trump appointed three 
um, Supreme Court justices who helped overturn the most egregious law of the land, Roe Ro v. Wade. Then there was a third group of evangelicals who looked at these two options and said, I cannot wrap my mind around either of these. Um, I can't vote for a man who is um, this level, we believe, morally disqualified from holding office. Neither can we choose a man that we believe is going to advocate for positions that clearly as Christians we cannot advocate for. We're not going to vote. And the Never Trumpers. And, and, and that happened. And, and there were plenty of people we all know and love and worship with who fell into these three categories. So the question is, who was right? Now, what I, my goal here is not to say who was right because I think I have transgressed uh, what Paul is saying here in Romans 14 to not disdain or judge a brother. So for example, there are some Christians who say if you voted for Biden, you can't be a Christian because of his positions he advocated for. Another group said if you voted for Trump, you can't be a Christian because of look who he is personally and his character and his moral, moral qualifications. And then a third group said that you can't be a Christian and vote for either of these guys. Now, this is, to me, if there is this much division and disagreement about how to approach an issue like this, clearly this falls under the matter of disputed opinions, not unimportant opinions, but something that the scripture does not clearly lay out. And so you need to know right off the top, that is my presupposition going into this. It doesn't mean that I'm a relativist and believe that, in my opinion, all three of these positions are equally valid. I don't believe they are. Um, but what my, my goal here in these next few minutes is to give us some guidelines to think about these things, and maybe, depending on which side we're on, to think about things in a new way. So first of all, let's say this, the Bible is not unclear or ambiguous about character. Particularly, it is not unambiguous or it's not ambiguous about the nature and qualifications of leaders when it comes to leading and their personal character. So if you wanna flip over for a second to Deuteronomy 17, we preached on this, um, I think it was back in the summer. And in Deuteronomy 17, Moses is laying out for the Israelites the qualifications for the person who will be king, that he may be one who fears the Lord, that he may be one who walks in a holy way before the Lord. And we can clearly see when Israel deviated from these matters um, and from these qualifications, the nation was oftentimes shipwrecked, exiled, and shipped off into to, to Babylon. In the New Testament, equally clear, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 um, are, is very clear that, that of all the qualifications for eldership, only one relates to skill, and that's to be able to teach. All the others relate to character. And, and it's, 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 Paul just is very clear when you put unqualified men into leadership positions in the church, they will lead others astray. They will help people to shipwreck their faith. And so here are the moral qualifications for that. Now, the challenge, right, um, in a democracy is we don't live in a theonomic kingdom. Um, we don't live in a nation state. We don't live um, in a place where 
there is an established Christian church. Um, and so oftentimes we will have leaders who will be put forth for election who don't fit these qualities at all or only fit them to varying degrees. So, so you can see how complex this is because last election, many people said Trump is morally unqualified to lead and Biden's a better choice. Well, as we've come to see, right, the, uh, Biden is maybe his moral struggles or deficiencies are of a different nature than Trump's, but they are very obviously there. And again, it's not to say who's better or worse, okay? It's simply to say sometimes we are not given the choice to, to, to say which of, you know, is there a biblically qualified man or woman to lead? Um, and an understanding that we don't live in an established church. Sometimes we do have to cast our lot with the lesser of two evils, or so to speak, or the one we think will most closely approximate um, right policy. Now, but at the same time, for those who fall in that camp, and I and I would say for me, I've historically fallen in that camp. I'm 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 going to look at the effect a leader can have over a whole country through his policies or her policies and leadership, and say what's going to be I think best in in establishing a baseline of um, um, what's not only good for the country but is consistent with biblical values and ethics. And I've always leaned more in that direction. Okay, there's a caution for those of us like me, okay? The Bible is not unclear about character. And we can look across the spectrum and whether it's churches, government, businesses, homes, we know that corrupt character will ultimately bankrupt a leadership institution. And we can't be naive about that, right? We have to, we have to, to understand that. And that's why we're going to look for, is there, are there other mitigating factors? Are there other things? Are there other people in this person's sphere that can help counteract that? It's, it's a complex issue. And let me just say, as I'm enunciating my opinion, I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be very wrong. And I want to um, hold that possibility up. On the other hand, let's talk about those who would say, okay, I'm going to choose the more morally qualified person even though they have uh, social positions, doctrinal positions, so to speak, ethical positions that are inconsistent with the Bible. And that was obviously the case with those who decided to vote for Biden, is that his, because of stature and other things, people think he would be better for the country. Well, once again, I think my pushback against that a little bit would be to say that some of the policy positions advocated for by Biden and his administration um, are not just, they're not neutral, they're not simply rowing in a different direction from biblical values, they are antithetical to the gospel. And of course, abortion would be the primary one that I'm thinking of, not the only one, but it's the primary one. And we don't need to fall into the trap of saying, well, Pastor Paul, that's, that's just one issue among many. I don't think it is. I don't think 150 years ago, um, or, or imagine this, um, Pastor Paul, I think this candidate is morally, is qualified in every other way, but he supports slavery. And you're saying, Pastor Paul, are you, are you equating slavery with abortion? In terms of its societal impact, I absolutely am. 
I believe it is the civil rights issue of the day. I don't believe it's a peripheral issue. I believe it's at the heart, strikes at the image of God. And I believe that one day as a culture, we might be looking at pulling down the statues and memorials to those who supported abortion in the same way we have done for the way that those who have supported slavery. And I think if we don't see that, I think we're being clouded by a whole, whole host of other issues. So let's not be naive. Now, this third position, which looks at both of these as untenable biblically, will say, in good conscience, I cannot either vote for a man who is morally unqualified or who is, um, or is advocating positions which are so antithetical to the Bible. And I have great sympathy, right, for that position because I believe it's a, it's a position bound in good conscience by the Bible. I cannot argue with it. I just tend to be more pragmatic and say, well, one of these people is going to be the leader who is going to most approximate uh, what I think um, down the line will be values that will uphold um, um, on some level uh, the values we see echoed in the Bible. Now, let me say, saying all that, what I just said, that's Pastor Paul's opinion. It's not the word of God. Um, it is not representative of our church or our elders. This is just me as a private citizen and me as someone who answers to these things personally before the Lord. The reason I don't talk about them this explicitly all the time is that I think it will clearly take us off track of the primary emphasis we need to be making, which is the gospel, which is Jesus doesn't mean that we don't speak to moral issues. We absolutely do. There's a difference in speaking to moral issues, though, and then advocating for a candidate, advocating for a policy, or sorry, advocating for a candidate, advocating for a party, okay? I will speak and teach the Word of God consistently applied to the political arena as it relates to issues, um, but I think that um, to, to then say, Um, This means you vote this way. This means you don't vote this way. Obviously, these are matters of dispute. And so what would God have us do? God would have us say, welcome one another. Don't keep each other at a polite distance. Don't have a spiritual detente. Um, Have a warm, engaging, intimate, close relationship because even if we disagree politically, we have more in common than we would if we didn't know Jesus Christ. So a lot of times we can mistake the fact that we have more in common with our political allies who aren't Christians than we do with our Christian brothers and sisters who aren't on the same end of the spectrum politically as we are. That's a lie as well. And so, um, but hopefully that might give, give us or give you some tracks to run on because all of us are in one of those three camps as it relates to our current political climate. And... We want to be thinking and be sympathetic to the other positions and why our brothers and sisters in Christ hold them. I entrust you to the Lord. He is your master. Before him, you stand and fall. Okay, that's it for today. I know that was a mouthful. If you have questions, paul.gilbert at fouroakschurch.com. And we will wrap up this discussion tomorrow, Friday. Hope to see you there. Lord, give us grace. And Lord, even as I'm articulating these things and thinking about them, I know that um, 
we're, we're, we're treading on a place where we need your grace and we need to give grace to one another. And so, Lord, help us to be true and biblical and right in our thinking. And, Lord, um, hedge up our way. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. And, Lord, we also do just pray for this election that's coming up next week. Your will would be done. Um, and that we would recognize we cannot place our hope in a political process or a person or a party. We can only place our hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you later.